We're going to get moving with the rest of our time here. So come on back. Hope you all had a, <coughs> had a chance to meet some folks, get your kids settled and dig. Welcome back. My name is uh, Bjorn Anderson, and I'm, I'm on the elder team, leadership team here, and excited to um, share a little bit about uh, the scriptures with you this morning. We're starting a new sermon series uh, this morning that I'll, I'll intro in a minute, but we're, we're, we've just spent the last two months or so walking through a sermon series um, called Talking with God on the Lord's Prayer. And so I thought uh, for many of those sermons, we started by praying the Lord's Prayer together, a prayer Jesus taught us to pray. And so uh, we're going to put it up on the screen, and we're going to begin our time by praying the Lord's Prayer, uh, also as a way to remember where we've been. So um, I believe we're going to have Matthew 6, 9 through 13 up, and uh, we're going to pray this prayer together corporately. At the end, it's, it will not be up there, but we all are also going to add for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So we're going to pray that at the end. So let's, uh, let's pray this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And the debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Father God, thank you for these words uh, taught to us by your son many years ago that are very relevant today. Thank you for the few months we've had as a church walking through them line by line and learning about your kingdom and your power and your name and your desire to bless us and protect us. And so we pray that that would continue today. We invite you to be a part of our continued worship here um, as we look at your scriptures together. We invite you to be with our children and dig, and we pray, Lord, that um, your name would be honored and we would leave here different because of our encounter with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, many, of, many of you know that my father uh, passed away in November after a long, uh, about a nine, ten-year battle with dementia. And in the final days of his, his life, uh, I had the privilege to gather with my mom, who's here today, worshiping with us, and my siblings, my brother and sister, um, and we gathered around the bed of my dad uh, to be together as he crossed from one world uh, into the next. And it was three days filled with um, sorrow, mourning, laughter, and really a very profound meaning. And one of the things that we did during that time was we watched a sermon that my dad had preached in 2007 about the person of Jesus. My dad was not a vocational minister, but he taught uh, in our church and preached and was a wonderful, uh, wonderful follower of Christ, but also a wonderful communicator. And it was beautiful in the sermon to see my, my dad in his fully healthy state teaching about the Jesus that he was on his way to meet and indeed is, is now with. Um, and so as we start a new sermon series this morning, I am going to blatantly rip off an introduction that my dad gave in that sermon in 2007, uh, hoping that he would be proud of that. And my dad started off the sermon talking about how uh, he was a physician by trade, but he talked about how one of the things he appreciated and thought was interesting about the human mind is that as in many of the ways the brain is amazing, he said that he talked about how the brain thinks in images, 
Meaning if I say to you, um, like, what did you have for breakfast this morning? You might have an idea of what you had for breakfast, but you very quickly can picture an image of, like, the bowl of cereal you had, or the muffin, or the cold pizza, or the burrito, or something like that, that you had for breakfast. Or if I say to you um, the name of a famous person, like Abraham Lincoln, or Mother Teresa, or SpongeBob, like, in your mind, you picture an image of that person. You might think of things they did or things they said, but you have an image of Abraham Lincoln or SpongeBob in your mind as I say those words. And images are really powerful, both for good and bad. It's actually why, like, the smartphone is, like, one of the most powerful, maybe dangerous, amazing inventions we've ever had because now way more than when my dad preached a sermon in 2007, we're, like, bombarded by images, almost too many images for our brain to, to handle. Um... And when we turn to the Christian faith, we read this about the person of Jesus in Colossians 1, 15. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So this means that in Jesus, we have the powerful yet abstract concept of God represented to us in a concrete form that we can understand. A human body. You're all in one right now. And I think that God can sometimes feel distant sometimes or maybe hard to wrap our minds around. And I think God knew this. And I think that's one of the reasons he came to earth as a human being. Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. And he certainly came to redeem us but he also came to provide us with a powerful and compelling image of who God is. So this morning, we're starting a new sermon series um, about people that encountered Jesus on his way to his death on the cross. We're a few weeks out from Easter. Easter is three weeks from this Sunday. And for the next few weeks, we're going to look at people that encountered Jesus as he was literally traveling, traveling to Jerusalem where he would die on the cross. After Easter, we're going to sort of continue the series by looking at people that encountered Jesus after his resurrection. And we're also going to have a really cool opportunity as a church where we're going to have people from our church during the serv- service come on stage and share about how they encountered Jesus. So it's going to kind of be a, a neat opportunity um, to do that. And our hope is that we would all experience new images of Jesus. And maybe in a world where you, I don't actually know the stats, I didn't look them up, probably just today you will see thousands of images, some good, some bad. Maybe we can let some of these images shape us in more profound ways than the other images we're going to see even for the rest of this day or this week. And our hope is that that would cause us to love Jesus more. Because ultimately our, our faith doesn't rest on doctrine, although that's important. Our faith doesn't rest on our own obedience, although our deeds are important. It rests on a person, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And hopefully we can get some images that help us fall in love with him a little bit more. So we're going to look today at um, some images of Jesus that a person named Zacchaeus experienced. Okay, Zacchaeus. Just think about that name. If you did not grow up in a church context, like you didn't grow up in the faith or the church, maybe you're like, that's just a name I don't know. It's not a popular name. It's like your name, Bjorn. It's not very popular, okay? Um, I like my name. Mom, love my name. Thank you. But um, if you did grow up in the church, 
you're like maybe thinking of a song in your mind that you learned when you were a child in Sunday school. Two of our kids learned it last week in Dig. They learned the Zacchaeus song. I'm not going to sing it for you. Look it up. Marginally worth it, I would say. Um, Zacchaeus is only in 10 verses in the whole Bible. But if you're a four-year-old in Sunday school, he's definitely like the second to fifth most important person in the Bible, okay? Um, But we're going to read the story about him, okay? So let's go over to Luke uh, 19, verses 1 through 10. This is where we read about Zacchaeus. And I'm going to read the story of Zacchaeus, Luke 19, 1 through 10. Why don't we stand together as I read the scripture? Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The word of God for the people of God. You can go ahead and sit down. So as I said, uh, this is the only passage in the Bible that mentions Zacchaeus. We don't know a lot about him. There's some legends in early church history that he became friends with Simon Peter, who was Jesus' probably closest disciple. Legend that he maybe became a bishop and was in charge of overseeing the church in a certain area, but it's hard to know if those are really reliable. But the, the fact that he's named, that he's given a name in this passage suggests that there's a good chance that the first people that read the Gospel of Luke would have known who he was. He's not just called tax collector. Um, he's, he's given a name. And whatever happened to Zacchaeus after this encounter with Jesus, I think there's two really compelling images that would have stayed with Zacchaeus that I want to draw out for the rest of our time today. The first image is Jesus standing under a sycamore fig tree, and the second image is Jesus sitting in his home. So the two images we're going to camp out on the rest of the time are the tree and the home. So let's start with the tree. In verse 5, we read that Jesus reaches the bottom of the tree that Zacchaeus has climbed, and he gives him a command. But before we get there, let's back up and see what we learn. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 again, and if you have a copy of the scriptures, maybe just leave it open, or you have a Mo Bible or a cellular device, just leave it open, because we're going to be kind of looking at these verses, okay? I'm going to read 1 through 5 again. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So this encounter takes place, as I said earlier, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. What's going to happen when he arrives in Jerusalem? He will be arrested, 
wrongly convicted and brutally executed. And he knows this is going to happen. We know, it's a, we know for sure. He predicted it many times. He knew this was going to happen. There's a good chance that this encounter that we just read takes place maybe within a week, certainly within weeks of his death that Jesus knows is coming. So this is where his emotional, mental headspace is as he encounters Zacchaeus. He's passing through Jericho. Jericho was a large city. It was probably like a regional Roman tax center. It was in modern-day Israel, but Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire. Notice the phrase in verse 1, passing through. This is a rest stop for Jesus, okay? There's a chance he did not come to Jericho with the intent to hang out with Zacchaeus. But as we read, Jesus stops. He engages Zacchaeus. He goes to his home. This probably wasn't a short visit. Last weekend, Abby and I um, went on a, a road trip, and we made a few stops at, at like rest areas. Let me tell you what our goal was not when we went to a rest area. Hey, let's find the biggest sinner in this place, learn their name, and then go hang out at their house. That was not our goal when we made it stop at the rest stop. We wanted cheap coffee, go to the bathroom, get back in the car, okay? Jesus, that, he was, he was, this was sort of a rest stop, but he... He's not about shaving time off his GPS. He's like encounters Zacchaeus and realizes he has a need. This is a person that he has a profound relational encounter with when he's not even thinking about it. Maybe we don't know what he's thinking, but like he's he's on his way to to Jerusalem. So Zacchaeus is there as he shows up in, in Jericho. We know a few things about Zacchaeus. One, chief tax collector. Two, wealthy. Three, short of stature. You may have heard about tax collectors in that time. You might be familiar with them, you might not. But they're people that lived in Israel and worked for the Roman government to collect taxes. They were generally despised for two reasons. One, they worked for an oppressive government that had taken over their country. Two, they became rich generally by taking more money than was owed and then keeping the rest for themselves. A potentially equivalent situation would be if Russia were to comp- like take over the country of Ukraine in this unjust war. And Zacchaeus was a Ukrainian person who now worked for the Russian government as a tax collector and would show up at your home as a fellow Ukrainian with an armed Russian guard. And if you owed $100 in taxes, he would say, you owe $150 in taxes. And he would give 100 to Russia and put 50 in his pocket for himself. It would be a, a tough situation. He would not be a, a well-liked person. Everyone knew this was going on. Everyone hated it. That's Zacchaeus. So he's wealth, wealthy and powerful in some ways, but he's, he's not really cute and cuddly. He's not like an underdog. And if you read the scriptures, if you read the stories of, of Jesus, there's actually a lot of people that Jesus connects with that are oppressed and suffering. I think of like a, the woman caught in adultery and dr- drug before Jesus naked in John 8, or people that are suffering with this horrible disease of leprosy, or people that are born blind. I believe we'll talk next week about blind men that encountered Jesus, or a woman who had 12 years of an internal horrible bleeding condition and was suffering in agony. And we read those accounts, and I think our hearts easily go out to the people. They're victims. It's easy to have compassion on them. Zacchaeus doesn't fit this category. He isn't oppressed. He's the oppressor, in a way. He's like a wealthy business tycoon who's made money off unjust business practices. 
but Jesus is drawn to him, and he's drawn to Jesus. I, um, I work for an organization called Young Life, which is an outreach to high school and middle school students, our church partners with it for some student ministry. And the person that founded Young Life, a guy named Jim Rayburn, back in the 1940s, he made, he made a comment about how in Young Life we want to reach all types of students. And he said this, he said, we want to reach the down-and-outers and the up-and-outers. Meaning like, we want to reach students that are socially marginalized, that are suffering or challenged in some ways. But we also want to reach the popular jerks that are bullying people. Because they all need Jesus. Zacchaeus more fit the latter kind of category. So Zacchaeus is so transfixed by Jesus that he climbs a tree to be able to see him. This is a really powerful indication of how badly he wanted to see Jesus. When was the last time you saw a grown man climb a tree, not at like a three-year-old birthday party? It's like probably kind of humiliating. He had to like hitch up his robes and climb up the tree and like it's it's it but it shows how much he wanted to see him. I think this would have been humiliating for someone for his age and stature. I think also his position in the tree kind of symbolically shows his position in the community. He's an outsider. An outsider that everyone can see and like stands out. And he's sort of outside the crowd. He's probably outside of the social community, and even his height is potentially a barrier. So Jesus shows up at the bottom of this tree. And um, here's the image that I think will stick with Zacchaeus, stuck with Zacchaeus for the rest of his life. Jesus stands at the bottom of his tree and speaks to him relationally and authoritatively. He's relational in that he calls him by name. How, how beautiful is that? How does Jesus know his name? Well, Jesus is the Son of God, which is an advantage in any and all circumstances. <laughs> that could be how. But we don't know. Sometimes his divinity and humanity kind of intermingled in strange ways that, frankly, are hard for us to get our heads around. Maybe Jesus, like, asked people in the crowd what Zacchaeus' name was. Maybe he heard people talking about Zacchaeus and learned his name. We don't know, but he calls him by name. Sociologists, I've heard, have said that every human has the same favorite word, the sound of your own name, being called by, by name. And honestly, I think our friendship and fellowship in this room, in this church, is sometimes hindered by the fact that we don't know people's names. There's people that have been coming to this church for years. You've been coming to the church for years. They've been coming to the church for years. You don't know each other's names. It does hinder the fellowship. So maybe let's give ourselves permission. We don't have a pastor right now. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> Go learn someone's name. Hey, I think you've been coming here for four years, and I don't know your name. What's your name? Let's just learn some names, you know? Jesus did it. It's a good thing to do. Um, so Jesus speaks really relationally, but he also speaks authoritatively. He, notice in verse 5, he doesn't, um, he doesn't ask if he can go to Zacchaeus' house. He, he tells Zacchaeus he's going to his house. I must stay at your house today. It's not a question. And it's not really stalking, okay, because Jesus is like a celebrity, Okay? It's probably cool that he went to his house. Like, if, if suddenly you got an alert on your phone that Tom Brady was going to be at City Hall tomorrow night, you would probably go. And many, many people would go. And if Tom Brady found you in the crowd and was like, hey, Bjorn, man, I'm glad you're here. You want to just go grab a beer after this? I wouldn't be like, dude, why are you stalking me? I, I would think it's so cool, you know? And so that's kind of the, maybe a little bit of a 
stretch of an equivalent. But so Jesus is on his road, on the road to the cross, and he stops at the base of the tree to look at a short, insecure, sinful man. He calls him by name and says, I'm going to change your life. Before we go to Zacchaeus' house, just think about your own life for a minute. Do you, do you ever feel like Zacchaeus? Do you ever feel like an outsider who can't really make their way through the crowd to see what's going on? Do you ever feel like the things you've done maybe separate you from the good people? What tree are you in in your life? Where are you separated from other people having struggling to find Jesus? Jesus is standing by your tree, too. He's calling you by name, inviting you to experience him on a new level. So J Jesus moves from Zacchaeus' tree to Zacchaeus' house. And this is the second image of Jesus hanging out in Zacchaeus' home. I'll read the second half of the story, verses 6 through 10. I'll read it again. Verse 6. So he, Zacchaeus, came down at once and welcomed him, Jesus, gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So notice that Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus gladly into his house. It proves how much he was longing to see Jesus and how willing he was to have Jesus enter his life. This may have been exciting for Zacchaeus. It was controversial for Jesus. Because by visiting Zacchaeus' home, Jesus is doing more than just being welcomed by him. He's actually making a significant statement that he's with Zacchaeus and he's for Zacchaeus. Not for all of his actions, but for him as a person. How do we know it's controversial? Verse 7 People are muttering about Jesus going to Zacchaeus' home. When was the last time you used the word mutter in a sentence? Could be the wordle word. You never know. Um, it's a good word, but we don't use it much, and you generally don't use it about things you're really excited about or in full support of. If there's things going on in our church you don't like, you probably mutter about it. I know I do. If there's someone you don't really like or a new neighbor moves in that you don't like, you probably mutter about it. If there's people in a younger generation that you don't understand, who maybe spend way more time on a screen than you would like, you probably mutter about it. And apparently Zacchaeus had a reputation as a sinner, which in this context describes not just someone who has a general state of sin, but someone with a particularly disgraceful or scandalous way of life. The crowd was muttering because they certainly thought Jesus should not be hanging out with this person. But Jesus loves sinners. You know why Jesus loves sinners? No one else to love. It's all he's got. And Jesus extends radical grace, hospitality, and love to this man he found in a tree. And this grace is scandalous. That's what we see here. It's a scandalous thing that Jesus went to his house. John Calvin was writing about this uh, this passage, and he said, a lot of people disregard the grace of God, but then complain bitterly when it's extended to others. Jesus thought more highly of one human soul than all the people of murmuring around him. Are there people that are hard for you to love? 
Are there people you mutter about? I know I mutter about some people. You know who doesn't mutter about you? Jesus. He loves you. But an experience with the person of Jesus also should change us because it changed Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a sinner, but Jesus wants more for him. And Zacchaeus, in his actions, demonstrate not, demonstrates not just that he likes Jesus, but that he will surrender to Jesus through repentance. We talked about repentance in our series on the Lord's Prayer, and we talked about thy kingdom come. We talked about that that's sort of like a call to repent. It's a military term, meaning about face. Zacchaeus was walking this way. After this encounter, he turns around, he's walking this way. His, his life has fundamentally altered, shifted, changed. And in this encounter, Jesus impacts probably the most important part of his life, his money and his possessions. Following Jesus might begin in our hearts, but it does extend into our outward actions. Repenting should, on some level, be evident in the way you and I and Zacchaeus live our lives. Earlier on in Luke, in chapter 3, John the Baptist said something that we'll read in a minute. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. He kind of like prepared people for Jesus' coming. He was sort of like the last prophet. And he says this in John, uh, Luke 3, 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. We'll get to Abraham in a minute. But notice what John says here. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What is the fruit of Zacchaeus' heart change? Well, he gives away half his possessions to the poor, and he pays back the people he cheated four times the amount. Massive life change. And Jesus recognizes it, and he honors it in the last two verses. In verse 9... Jesus welcomes Zacchaeus into his family. He calls Zacchaeus a son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jewish faith, and all the people Jesus is talking to are probably Jewish, including Zacchaeus, but the Jewish people think he has done enough that he's like non-Jewish, most likely. So you have Abraham and you have Zacchaeus. Abraham's a model of faith, a pioneer in following God, a pillar of righteousness, and you have Zacchaeus, a traitor, a sellout, stealing money from citizens under the protection of the brutal Roman Empire. And Jesus explicitly links Zacchaeus to Abraham. It's scandalous. I attended college uh, with a guy named Jack Hansen. I did not know him very well, sort of knew him peripherally, a little bit outside of my, my uh, friend group. But three years after I graduated college, Jack Hansen's dad, Robert Hansen, who worked for the FBI, was arrested in a park in Northern Virginia where he was dropping a package of classified information for a Russian KGB agent. It turned out that he had been selling secrets to Russia for 20 years. He's the largest spy in United States history. There's a movie and a book about him. I looked it up this week. The FBI said it was the worst intelligence disaster in U.S. history. He's in, he's in jail for life. Now imagine if this man, Robert Hansen, was caught and then he had repented, repented. He said, I'm sorry, I'm going I'm to I'm like backtrack my ways. And then imagine if the president 
were to say Robert Hansen is a true patriot in the lineage of George Washington, you would be like, no, he's not. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. We'd be like maybe offended by that. It also leads to the last verse of the story. Because the story doesn't end, it's not about what Zacchaeus has done to be called a child of son of Abraham. It's about what Jesus did in seeking out Zacchaeus and saving him. Verse 10, this is a great verse. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This verse has been described as a mission statement for the life of Jesus, to seek and to save the lost. Have you ever lost something that's important to you? Just think about when you lost your car, if you've lost your car keys. When an item is lost, it actually highlights its value. And in this story, Jesus is showing the value of Zacchaeus by seeking him out, calling him to repentance, and offering him salvation. The hero of the story isn't Zacchaeus, even though his repentance is beautiful and is a great model for us. The hero of the story is the man who stood at the base of a tree, then stood in Zacchaeus' home and welcomed him into his family. It's Jesus. He's the good shepherd who came to seek and save the lost. The one who on the road to his own death showed up at the bottom of a tree and then in the living room of a scumbag and completely changed his life. That same Jesus wants to stand at the tree of your life, the tree where you find yourself. He also wants to come into your living room and make himself at home. That's potentially more uncomfortable, but it's where transformation begins. If Jesus showed up at your dinner table tonight, what things would he want to change in your life? You know, I started off by talking about this sermon my dad gave and his talk about images. I'll close by sharing another illustration that my dad gave in the same sermon. It's about an individual who was called a surf man. This individual worked for the United States Life Saving Association, which was founded in the 1800s and later became the U.S. Coast Guard. The surf man would patrol certain portions of the coast that were particularly dangerous for shipwrecks. And if a boat were to capsize or shipwreck, the surf man would figure out how to rescue the people on the boat. The surf man had a few options for how to rescue that, those people. One was that he could row a boat out in these stormy waters and put people in the boat and bring them ashore. If he couldn't get all the way out, he would actually throw out, maybe from a boat or from the, from the land it was close enough, like a cable that would attach to the boat, and then he would like pulley out either a life preserver to help the people swim in, or actually a basket that the people could get in and come out. And the last option is that he would swim out himself and bring the people in. It's sort of like, maybe you've, you've heard of in, in modern terms, the U.S. Coast Guard as rescue swimmers. Their unofficial motto is, you always have to go out, you don't always have to come back. The surf man would walk the beach during great storms, looking for ships about to capsize, and sometimes the surf man would even lash himself with a rope to wooden posts on the shore so he wasn't blown into the sea as he would look out at the sea looking for ships about to capsize. Jesus is the surf man that shows up in Zacchaeus' life. First at the bottom of the tree he climbed, and then in his living room. Jesus is on your shore, too. He's looking for where you're hiding in a tree. 
He's wanting to come into your house. You see him? Zacchaeus did. And it changed everything. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that as we sang about this morning, you are holy, holy, holy. You are powerful. And yet you're three in one. So we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you that in Jesus we have the image of the invisible God. We have your image in human form. We thank you as we look ahead to Easter that that Jesus died for our sins, but also shows us what you're like. And we thank you for Zacchaeus, that you showed up at the tree he had climbed, that you showed up in his house. Thank you for how you changed his life. And I pray for us in this room. I pray for those of us who maybe feel like um, we're, we're climbing up a tree trying to get a look at you or climbing up a tree because we're outcast. I pray for those of us who um, are wondering what it looks like to repent and follow you, and I pray that this, what we learned from Zacchaeus would, would encourage us and help us to see where you're calling us to produce fruit in our own life as we follow you. Thank you most of all that you don't mutter about us, you see our sin, and you call us by name, and then you keep walking to the cross to die for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you stand as we close with... Amazing Grace.